being a single parent with your child every day, to be stripped away from him and him stripped away from me because of the $75,000 ransom that I could not afford. Throughout the last few years, we've noticed that bail reform has morphed into a social justice buzz phrase. A phrase too few are able to fully dissect or explain. There are a lot of moving parts, some systems thinking and background knowledge necessary to grasp the full scope of this issue. And the majority of us believe that locking up someone in jail simply because they can't afford to pay bail, especially someone who hasn't been convicted of a crime, is a violation of their civil rights. But how do we get to a fair criminal legal system? How do we fix the front door of mass incarceration? What does the path to end Ohio's reliance on cash bills actually look like? Welcome to The Steep Road to Freedom, a limited series podcast from the ACLU of Ohio, devoted to untangling the crisis of pretrial detention. We're taking a look at this national movement through the lens of compelling personal narratives, subject matter experts able to demystify solution-oriented policy, and activists ready to mobilize a base of passionate Ohioans driven by the goal of transforming the system. I'm your host, Selena. And I'm your host, Malikta. We know that people held pre-trial are more likely to be convicted and receive harsher sentences compared to those able to secure their release. In this episode, we will take a look at Ohio's mass incarceration problem. Did you know Ohio's incarceration rates are comparable to that of Texas, a state with two and a half times as many people? And did you know Ohio's ranked third in the nation for the number of people held under criminal supervisory control like parole or probation? This episode will examine the intersection between mass incarceration and pretrial detention. So Malakta, let's start there. Can you describe what mass incarceration is to our listeners and why we're talking about it on a podcast about bail reform? Of course. So mass incarceration is a continuous and substantial increase in the number of individuals incarcerated and involved in the criminal legal system. That includes people in jails, prisons, on probation, or out on parole. The U.S. incarcerates more of its citizens than any other nation on this earth, leading to a nearly unprecedented jail and prison overcrowding. So we know that incarceration rates have been growing over time, skyrocketing in Ohio. And Malekta, is this related to the war on drugs that many scholars now believe was an epic policy failure? Precisely. The politics of fear and anger fueled tough-on-crime policies originating from the Nixon era and continuing well into the 90s. That included mandatory minimum sentences, extraordinarily harsh and racially disparate penalties for even minor drug offenses, and the explosion in life sentences without parole. Now we're left with unparalleled incarceration rates in America today. So talk to me about how bail reform specifically could be the answer here. How can bail reform actually be the beginning of the end of mass incarceration? So bail reform provides procedural safeguards in the way that bail is set. And when this happens, it leads to fewer plea deals. You've heard in pop culture, I'll take the plea deal in court shows or The Good Wife. And oftentimes, people held pre-trial find themselves taking plea deals because they're desperate to get out and want their freedom. Plea deals are rooted in the presumption of guilt. When people are in jails and they're not able to readily access their attorney, help with the investigation, or even show up to court dressed in their own clothes, it compromises someone's day in court. So what you're saying is people who are detained pre-trial, and again, legally innocent, can't even fully participate in their own defense? Exactly. Pre-trial detention compromises the integrity of their case. 
And for the people that I talk to across the state, they feel pressure to take pleas simply to get out, to keep their jobs, to maintain custody of their kids, and even just to leave jails that are overcrowded and deemed inhumane, like the Cuyahoga County Jail in Cleveland, for example. They take a plea to end this challenging part of their lives. It's obvious that the inability to pay bail at the outset of one's involvement with the criminal legal system has grave implications. It drives conviction rates and leads more people into jails and prisons as a result. Indeed. And I sat down with Anton Parks, a Lucas County resident who found himself taking a plea to a crime he didn't commit as a way to get out of jail and receive the medical treatment he needed. Take a listen. Okay, um, I'm Anton Park Sr. Um, I'm a single parent. Um, I was born in Michigan. Um, currently, I am the Directors of Operations at Open Arms at the Frederick Douglass Center. I am the Vice President of the Tyro Bridge Program, which offers CDL leadership programming to people returning home from prison, re- returning citizens and citizens who are idle and don't have Um, a pathway that they can take right now to education, political, social, and economic growth. So I want to talk to you about your bail story. Were you ever held because you couldn't afford the bail? Yes, definitely. I was arrested in 2017. A guy came to my home. He wanted to attack my 14-year-old, and he attacked me in the process. He got hurt. I complied with the law. As soon as I defused the situation, I called the police. The detectives came, they spoke with me, they released me, they told me that I wouldn't be arrested. A few days later, I was picked up by the marshals and told that I did too much to protect my home. Okay, as I cooperated and and told my story and offered them the truth and the resolution, they used that against me and said to protect my situation that I would be incarcerated until my trial and a $75,000 bail, which was two times my yearly income at that time, would be, would be imposed upon me to be released with no 10%. So I had to sit in jail three months, but I had medical issues and I sat there without the proper medical treatment. Being a single parent with your child every day, to be stripped away from him and him stripped away from me, because of the $75,000 ransom that I could not afford, my family could not put together, I had to sit in the county jail with going from 240 pounds to 180 pounds. Um, I was transported to St. Vincent's Hospital. We petitioned the court, please let me out on bail so I can see the specialists who were not allowed to see me while I was incarcerated to treat me for the injury sustained in the original attack and injury sustained from the marshals picking me up. And again, it's about a ransom because had I been able to ante up $75,000, not 10%, but $75,000, then I could sit home with my family and get the proper treatment. The thing I know about the bail system is it's a way to keep us down. It's once you're arrested, your melanin has to, to come to the front. Because when I got out, I didn't say, oh, poor me. Let me go to the crime. Let me go. I went into politics. I went into deeper community service because I was already participating. I am currently working on a union with a lot of people who are returning citizens. And we will, within the next five to 10 years, reform the bail system, the privatized prison system. And it's no good for us in America. I agree. And thank you again for your vulnerability and being willing to share 
So just to make it clear, somebody comes and attacks you and your home and you defend yourself. From there, you don't get initially arrested. They come and arrest you and then they give you $75,000 bond. Wow. No 10%. No 10%. He initially told me I was a minister to society and I was a threat to the community. And then my attorney reminded him, you're looking at Mr. Parks in this orange jumpsuit. You're not looking at the community activists for 20 years. The ex-gang member who's been nationwide marching and, and resolving issues. So once you say we have all these particulars and you don't remove that high bail or let me out, that tells me that it's profit over people. It's profit over what's right. They count on our personal situations, us not having the time and the resources to wait it out in that page. You try to get that bond together, but we never fight the point that it's unfair. You found yourself pleading to be released. You found yourself pleading to something that you were not guilty of in exchange for your freedom. And it wasn't really exchange for freedom. It was exchange to be released. I forfeited my rights and freedoms to come home to my child and to medical care. And it was a balancing. It was tears. Like even in the courtroom when they asked me, are you being intimidated or threatened to take this plea? I'm sitting there like, you fucking right. You guys are the intimidators. You are going to kill me in here if I don't take this plea. And from that position, what motivated you to return to your community and ignite that hope? Um, I think the biggest thing was to show my kids that, you know, you never give up. Like, that was a hurdle, but it was a hurdle. And if you trip over that hurdle, go back and try it again. And, you know, there's a spark that's in me that I can start a flame at other people. And I'm going to use that platform to really try to make a difference. Talk to me about open arms. Okay, so I have to start with Marcia Dinkins and Black Women Rising. She has been my greatest mentor. Open Arms is just a community program. Open Arms funding is for the community. What does the community need as far as transportation, educational tools? It is strictly for the community, and that's why I choose to deal with them. They're located right now at the Frederick Douglass Center. We're going to speak to 10 of the elementaries about getting involved in politics, finding what you want to do and letting us find you a mentor and what you want to do and offering tools to the community for their needs. So that's why I really love Open Arms. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And I feel so moved by your story. And I'm honored to hear it. Thank you so much, Wayne. Thank you. This week's episode is sponsored by New Voices Cleveland, a reproductive justice organization dedicated to the health and well-being of black women and girls and all women of color in the Cleveland area. Follow them on Twitter at New Voices Cle. All right, back to the episode. After speaking with Anton, I wanted to learn more about Ohio's mass incarceration problem. I sat down with the Ohio Justice and Policy Center, a Cincinnati-based nonprofit that provides free legal assistance to people who are typically discarded in the criminal justice system. OJPC represents clients whose human rights were violated in prison, assists people with criminal convictions in search of housing, education, and employment, 
and works with Ohio's lawmakers and community leaders to advocate for fair, redemptive criminal legal reform. I'm Sasha Naiman. I'm an attorney at the Ohio Justice and Policy Center. I'm also the deputy director there. Uh, my work has primarily centered on um, helping people who have criminal records who are in the community and who are facing barriers to employment and housing and education. And I'm Kevin Werner. I'm the policy director for OJPC. But my um, area of focus is really on policy and legislative changes. Our mission is to create fair, intelligent, redemptive criminal justice systems through zealous client-centered advocacy, innovative policy reform, and set a cross-sector of community education. In practice, our work with people who are impacted by the criminal legal system is both in the prisons and the jails and out in the community. OJPC represents clients who are incarcerated to ensure that their rights are protected in prison. And then a big part of our work is also in the community. Once a person has had contact with the criminal legal system, they face a lot of barriers to employment, to housing, to education, civic participation, volunteering, self-sufficiency, and so on. So OJPC works with people to help remove some of those barriers. And then we use our knowledge of the system to reform the system. So we're helping to elevate the voices of clients so that they can change the problems in the system and and see change uh, on a statewide and local level. I see. So it, it sounds as if you're incorporating the feedback from the community into the advocacy and legal work itself. That's right. It's It's like a cycle. So working with people who are directly impacted has to be at the center and the core of any policy reform efforts. Those experiences, those voices should be what drives policy change. And then OJPC, once the systems are changed, the laws are changed, goes back into the communities through our outreach legal clinics and offer additional legal services with a better system. How does being held pre-trial because someone can't afford a high cash bail actually undermine their chance at a fair trial? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so many people in our state and our local communities live paycheck to paycheck. So what happens when a person gets arrested, again, we're talking about a nonviolent, low-level charge, um, then they can't afford to buy their way out of detention. Is that person's life very precipitously starts to fall apart. People lose their job, they lose their housing, they lose custody of their children, and, and really um, any semblance of order or structure that they have in their lives. So what happens is there's this tremendous strain and stress that's put on people. And so, you know, they consider what choices do they really have? They can't take the steps that they would need to, to mount any kind of a defense or to refute the charges because they're in jail. So to get out of jail, they take a plea deal. People plead to something that they didn't do all the time. And again, it's just to get out of detention. And so, you know, there's no fair trial for you if your mindset is that you just got to get out because your whole life has been disrupted solely because you cannot afford the bail. I would even expand that. In fact, everybody who's going into the criminal legal system with an allegation is presumed innocent. In the cell, it's very hard to prepare for your trial. You can't fully participate in crafting your defense with your attorney because there's just limited opportunity to see that person. You're sitting in a cage, whereas a person who has the financial resources 
to get out of that pretrial detention for the same underlying accusations has a real chance of mounting a defense and ultimately not needing to plead to anything, just having the case dismissed or getting an acquittal. People are eager to leave this detention, so they accept a plea, a consequence that will permanently entangle them into the legal system. They're just incentivized to plead to it. It's not really a fair trial. And regardless, this pretrial detention is wrecking their life all around their case. So this leads into my next question. What are some of the collateral consequences of someone who has a felony conviction who just pled out as, as a way to get out, as a way to ex- escape the cage? So in Ohio, there are over a thousand laws that limit what a person with a criminal record can do. And many of them are connected to employment, to housing, to even to volunteering, to family connections, ability to foster and adopt. But more than that, a person with a conviction, not only a felony conviction, but any kind of conviction, has a negative stigma when they're applying to jobs, to housing, to schooling that isn't necessarily tied to a law. So we know from studies that a person with a criminal record is 50% less likely to get a call back when they're applying for a job. So these are real impacts. As I think about collateral sanctions and collateral consequences, the one word to me is devastating. There's about 1.3 million jobs in Ohio that are either off limits or partially off limits for Ohioans with previous criminal convictions. So to put that another way, that's one in four state jobs that are restricted. Estimated that one in 11 Ohioans has a felony conviction and as many as one in three Ohioans have a criminal record of some kind. But the sanctions don't end with, you know, closing doors to people in today's economy. They impact, you know, a person's ability to rent an apartment or to gain access to education programs or vocation training. So really what we see are our state laws and our state policies are exactly backwards when it comes to sanctions. The system that we have now is really designed for people to mess up because we place hurdle after hurdle after hurdle in front of people instead of enacting laws or or policies that remove the barriers. I see. And this almost this incorrect assessment of who is a risk in the workplace. Correct. Some of these restrictions last a lifetime. Some of them will last 20 years or 10 years for these very, very long periods. And in my work, as I've talked to employers, I always speak to them about what is their fear. And oftentimes what they tell me is their concern about who the applicant was at the time of the convictions, not about who the applicant is today. They have to evaluate who the person is that's going to walk through their doors. And in the case of criminal records, we know that a person who is some years out from their conviction just simply won't behave in the same way now. Uh, So what policies should we be advocating for? What procedural safeguards, you know, should we be demanding in this campaign? You know, Ohio needs to be doing things like having release on own recognizance as the absolute default position. And in those carefully limited exceptions, there really needs to be meaningful consideration of a person's ability to pay and comply with any pretrial release conditions, whether they're financial or non-financial. And as part of that is if there are non-financial conditions, eliminating the costs of those non-financial conditions from the equation that those costs shouldn't be borne by the defendants. 
Well, thank you both. That was completely illuminating for me and cleared up a lot of the questions that I have around this campaign in this area. Great. We're all going to win this thing. Great. All right. Thank you. Okay. Thank you. That conversation was really crystallizing how the broad mass incarceration system interacts specifically with the bail reform measures we've been discussing in episodes one and two. I'm so glad it resonated. I wanted our listeners to see and hear why bail reform is desperately needed in Ohio. It's clear we cannot achieve pre-child justice without acknowledging the role of mass incarceration in destabilizing communities and tearing families apart. We must be grounded in the knowledge that cash bail has perpetuated a two-tiered system of justice, one for the wealthy and one for the rest of us. I truly believe bail reform is the beginning of the end of mass incarceration because it dismantles that front door, diverting people away from convictions. Malekta, we've talked a lot about the power players and the people in control. What about the actual human impact? When we talk about the defendants and the people actually being held in pre-child detention, who are we really talking about? Next week, we're going to be looking at the intersectional impact the disproportionate impact that LGBT people, people with disabilities, low-income people, people of color, and immigrants face as they enter the pretrial system. I'm looking forward to that conversation. All right, all, thanks for listening to the ACLU of Ohio's limited series podcast, A Steep Road to Freedom. This podcast is a project of the ACLU of Ohio. Don't forget, rate, review, and subscribe. Again, we're your co-hosts, Malik Tamalaku and Selena Cumming. And this podcast would not be made possible without our village of amazing colleagues, Claire Chevrier, James Kosmatka, and Jeff Miller. Music and editing by Dan Rogan. Mix and mastering by Sean Rule Hoffman. Don't forget to follow us on social media. You can catch us on Twitter at ACLU Ohio and on Facebook and Instagram at ACLUOH. Check out our bill website at ohbillreform.com. Thanks for listening.